One of my daughters, uh, who will remain nameless, I only have two of them, so to some degree of a 50% chance of guessing. One of my daughters decided this week that uh, she wanted to help me out uh, with some sermon prep. Now, you got to understand it's close to bedtime. We see what the real motive is, right? Like, she just doesn't want to go to bed. So she figures if she makes it a spiritual reason why she doesn't need to go to bed, like helping daddy with his sermon, then, uh, you know, she'll be able to stay up a little bit later. No, maybe there's some holy motives there. We don't know. But nonetheless, she said, uh, why don't you preach to me? Tell me what you're going to talk about. And so, and I was like, hmm, I am a verbal processor. Doreen seems less interested. So maybe we can... Doreen hears it all the time. you got to feel bad for her. Maybe we can use this moment. So I said, okay, fine. Uh, here's a question for you. I said, okay, okay, okay. You know, we're in the series Greatest Value, so I'm trying to shape it that way. I said, okay, let me ask you a question. I said, what do people do when God is their greatest value? What are some of the things that people do when God is their greatest value? Without any hesitation, with a very disgusted tone. Well, they don't look at their cell phones during service. Got you. Put them away now. I'm not making this up. Unbelievable. I said, bitch. Can you believe it? If you value God, you don't look at your cell phone during service. Write it down. Say what you want, right? About whether how true or good or whatever that is. But then I repeated the question. I said, listen, tell me more. What do people do when they value God? And then I was really encouraged by this answer. I said, well, they praise him all the time, word for word. And I got to thinking, isn't that really where we started in this series? Right? When we value God, we worship him. Right? We, we desire him. We delight in him. We praise his name. Right? That's, that's the, re, the response when our value is God, is worship. Her second response was, uh, they pray. I thought, well, is that not what Jeremy said last week? When he talked about the value of God leads us to be praying uh, God's priorities in the Lord's Prayer. And last, a perfect sermon help. She said, They read the Bible. When people value God, they read the Bible. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today in a little bit more depth and detail. See, we as a church, we claim to value God more than anything else. Like, that's that's our greatest value. And because of that, we say, okay, because we value God the most, we value his truth. And when we talk about the truth of God, we go to one place. We say it's the word of God revealed on the pages of scripture. It's the Bible. So to value God is to value his truth. And to value his truth is to share together a conviction that the scriptures are the source of that truth. And so I'm going to ask you the question today. Do you value God? To the extent that you love the scriptures. 
Do you value God to the extent that your attention is fixed upon the Word of God? Do you value God to the extent that you are living in submissive obedience to that word that you're attentive to? This is what it means for God to be our greatest treasure, our greatest value. So as we consider this question, and I want us to think about it for real, not just ask it for niceties, but to actually throw that question out there for heart measurement, like do a, 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 an analysis of your heart before God today. Do you love the Bible? We're going to turn to the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. 176 verses. I will not read it in its entirety. No amen? Oh, but we're supposed to love and value the Bible. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to read a portion. And the truth is, there's a lot of repeated phrases for good reason. And I'm not trying to minimize the value of reading the whole thing. But we'll read a section. I'm going to make some references to some other scriptures that reinforce some of these truths. But I would actually encourage you to grab this psalm and read it. 22 straight days, 22 sections, based on the Hebrew alphabet, and pray this every day. It's very much a prayer. So read it. Engage it. But for today, we're going to look at 9 through 16. Chapter 119, verses 9 through 16. Listen to these words. They'll be on the screen above. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is indeed the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If I were to say the phrase, Psalm 119, what's the immediate word that comes to your mind? It's okay. It's not rhetorical. Does he really want me to say anything? If I were to say 119, what would you say? Psalm 119. What's the first word that comes to mind? Law. Did I hear long? Long. What else? Scripture. Dependence. Absolutely. If you, if you read through that, you'll get a, someone who's depending and relying upon the Scriptures. One of the things that we ask when we turn to a Scripture to understand what's going on is we ask, what are the repeated phrases? 
It's an important question. When something's repeated, it means, hello, wake up. Oops, wake up, listen. Now I'll enable you to listen, putting this on. So one of the things that's repeated over and over again is this idea of God's revealed will, right? In different forms. You see precepts, testimonies, ways, your promise, right? Your, did I say precepts? I already said that. Your law. It's repeated. It's, it's about God's revealed will and the word and the law and his command. But what's interesting, if you read it, it's not actually the most repeated words. If you read through the whole psalm, 176 verses, you'll see that the most repeated words are the personal pronouns. I, we, you. I, we, you. That this is not merely a text about the word of God. Man, it's great. right? This, but it's really this, this conversation that takes place between the psalmist and God about it, and how it's really about the relationship that the psalmist has with God through the Word. David Paulison has written much on this. He says this, he says, Psalm 119 is the most extensive I-to-you conversation in the Bible. It's a prayer. Only the first three verses talk about people in general, about God and about the word. The fourth verse begins to personalize things. We stand accountable to you, he says. For the next 172 straight verses, I, your servant, talk to you, Lord, who speak and act, whom I need and love. Very personal. Very relational. And so it's important to stop there for a second. And I'm not trying to reduce this concept of the word of God to just some, some relational time with you and Jesus in the woods. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But understand this. This is a very relational text. And engaging God in the scriptures, valuing the God of the scriptures, is a, is a covenantal matter. And it is a relational matter. We relate to God through his covenant, and this is the place in which he has laid out the terms of that covenant. He's shown himself in the word. He wants us to know him. It's very relational. So often we've thought of engaging the scriptures as religious. I've got to do it. I've got to check that box. It's something that I must do because I proclaim to be an evangelical Christian. It becomes duty. And by the way, it is. But it's a duty of grace. But it's more than that. It's a relationship. It's the I to you conversation. It's where God speaks to you and interacts with you. So often we hear people say, God does not speak to me. There could be nothing more false than that. God speaks, God has spoken, and his words are right here. Very relational. And we also see that for the psalmist that there's a deep love for God's word here. 19 times there's a direct statement. I love your word in one way or another. He loves the word. He loves the Bible. He loves the scriptures. 
Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. It's right there. I will delight. It's decisive, but it's, it's still a reflection of his heart. I, I love this. I delight in it. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 47, I lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. Verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. And then again, as we use that word love, so uh, just kind of throw it out there. Like, I love tacos. I love uh, Delmonico steaks. I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, I love going to the gym once in a while. Um, we use that word. I love Justin Bieber. Did I throw that one out there? And then we say, I love God. Right? I love the scriptures. We use that word love, so it's important to know. Well, compare your statement, I love this versus I love that. We saw people run to gas stations and convenience stores because they love the idea and the, and the, the possibility of achieving $1.6 billion of wealth. And the psalmist says this, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. The psalmist says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 72. The psalmist says, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, even fine gold. That if I were to measure my love for you in the word of God and my love for anything else in this world that money could buy or offer me, that there's just simply no comparison. That even if I had all that money, it could never buy me relational access to the living God. That's a gift that no money could buy. I love your word above all gold, even fine gold. The scriptures have incomparable value. You're to be loved above all things. For those who claim to value God, they love the scriptures. I'm reminded of, of one mother who decided to give her child a Bible for their birthday. It'd be their first Bible. And in thinking about what was taking place, the gift of the first Bible passing on from the mother to the son. She began to realize that, man, this is significant. This actually, based on what I'm doing, the gift that I'm giving might be the most significant thing that I'm doing in this child's life. And so prior to handing this Bible to her son, she pens these words. One of the blank pages at the beginning. She says, dear son, we love you. In giving you God's holy word to learn and to follow is the best gift you will ever get. Read it every day so that you can know Jesus more. He is 
the treasure. Love mommy and daddy. Those who value God love the Bible. Do you? Do you love the Bible? Is that in many ways why you're here this morning? Because you love the scriptures. You, you recognize your need for the scriptures. That there's nothing more valuable on a Sunday morning that you could do than gather with God's people to hear the proclamation of the scriptures. To orient your life around the scriptures. To pray the scriptures. To sing the scriptures. To hear the proclamation of the scriptures. Do you value God to the extent that you love the word? I can't measure that or I can't even answer that question for you. This is a question that you need to write down on a piece of paper. Say, do I love God's word? It's an important question because for those who value God as their greatest value, they'll love the Bible. That's what the psalmist does. He loves the Bible. What does love for the Bible begin to look like? How do you know? I mean, in some ways you can say, well, I feel like I do or I feel like I Well, let's maybe take it a little bit more practical. What does love for the Bible really look like in the life of you and me? What does that look like? Well, first of all, I think that at the very least, love for the Bible means that our attention is fixed upon it. Notice I did not say read it. Very intentional choice of words. Barna did a study on the state of the Bible in America. He does this for the American Bible Society every couple of years. And he found out that 88% of Americans own Bibles. I was shocked by that. I think it's pretty high based on some of the interactions that we see. But 88% of people own do you know how the average household, uh, how many Bibles they own? 4.7, so five Bibles. The average household has five Bibles in it. Hard for me to believe. But who am I? I'm not George Barna. So five Bibles. Guess how many people read it once a week, percentage she found? 39% people read it once a week. Still hard for me to believe. But maybe, you know, it's winter. I live in Syracuse. I'm just a little skeptical. Pretty much everything. 39%. 19% read the Bible at least four times a week. It's hard for me to believe that one in five, but you still see the progression. That it's one thing to own a Bible, it's another thing to read it. Owning a Bible doesn't show that you value God. And I would go on to even say that although it shows more, it, reading the Bible doesn't necessarily mean that you value God either. That often it's become for us a just religious duty that we check off in the morning, that really that our attention is on it for about five minutes, and then we don't, for, we don't even think about it for the rest of the day. That we just do our thing to make us feel better, maybe for a little inspiration so we don't get so ticked off at our boss. Something to make us get lifted up in our demeanor rather than really pursuing the God who is revealing himself in the scriptures. So my question for you is, are you attentive to the word of God? Not what do you read it. 
If you're attentive, you're reading it. You can't be attentive and not read it, but you can read it and not be attentive to it. That is, your mind can totally be distracted from it. I love the, the language that the psalmist used. If you, if you look at uh, verse 18, he says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. That is, your attention cannot be on the Bible if God is not opening your eyes to see its wonder. So if your attention is not on it, it may be a direct result of spiritual blindness. I don't see the wonder that's in it, so why would I be attentive to it? And that's the work of God, the Holy Spirit, to say, uh, to open your eyes, to see, to behold wonderful things that are in this word. And then I love verse 37, with, again, the posture of the eye, where is the attention? It's, first of all, blind to it, needs to be opened, and next we see that there's a, a turning that takes place, verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. And give me life in your ways. You see, our attention is not on the word of God because we're blind to its wonder. And we're assuming that there's wonder in other things. But there's no wonder there. It's all worthless. Everything that the world would put before us as valuable, as worthy of our attention, has, has competed for our affection. And now we are beholding other things. And at the end of the day, it's the pathway to destruction and vanity. And our eyes are there. And the psalmist prays, turn my eyes away. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. That I may behold your law. Give me life in your ways. And then finally, verse what 15 in the passage we read. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Is this not what God the Holy Spirit does as he draws us to himself? He illuminates. He opens our eyes Oh, I never saw that before. I've read it a hundred times, but now I see it, and it's wonderful. You ever had that moment? Or have you ever had that distracted moment? And it may not necessarily be blindness that is the cause of your struggle. It may be boredom, like there's just something that's, that, that's just pulling you away, your attention. This seems more interesting this seems more fun and exciting. It, it meets my temporal needs, and so I may be engaging it, but my attention's over there, and I don't really see the relevance that this truth has for my life. So our attention is turned away from this. Due to what we seem to be, there's no connection, there's no, there's no real relevance. But the psalmist prays, turn my eyes away from those worthless actually irrelevant things that my attention is on and turn my attention to that which defines relevance your truth it's firmly fixed in the heavens and then this fixating of the eyes that we begin to fixate ourselves on the scriptures anybody here struggle with bible add I'll be the first one to raise my hand. Let me confess to you my own struggle when I engage Scripture. I kid you not, I'll be engaging God in the Scriptures, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about Michael Jordan's last second shot in 1998. <laughs> Have you ever been through an experience like that? Like, how am I thinking through the statistics in the 90s 
while I'm engaging Matthew chapter 4. We have this propensity for our attention to turn away because things uh, maybe seem to be more pressing or whatever. I think we struggle with that. There's so much on our mind. There's so much that's confronting our psyche that we're always bombarded with images and noise and ideas and information in this society that we've been literally distracted away from attention on the very thing that gives and sustains life in God, the Word. Is your attention on the Word? Or is it on other things? If your attention's on the Word, it shows that you genuinely value God. Do you know what 40% of people in that survey said was the, the number one reason why they don't read the Bible? Do you want to know what it is? It wasn't blindness. It wasn't boredom. It was what? It's another bee. I'm going killer bees on you. Busyness. 40% of the people that don't read the Bible, they, do, they don't because they just don't have the time. Anyone connect with that? You just don't have the time. And I find it interesting because I think that in many ways our checkbook can be um, an objective measurement of what we value, right? What we spend our money on is an objective measurement. You say, well, well, I don't value that. Entertainment's not important to me. You know, well, you're a, you spent, you know, $800 this month on entertainment. Well, it's not my value. Well, clearly it is. It's an objective statement about what you value, where your money goes. But I also think your schedule, your time. Just look at your calendar. What do I value? What's important to me? Now, I know there are situations where people go, yeah, but I didn't choose this. This has been given to me. It's been forced. Understand that. But I think in general, for the most of us, it's really we have designed our own schedule. We've pursued a particular career. We've walked down particular paths. We've made certain decisions in our past or in the moment that have set the stage for this is how my routine will be. And I find it interesting that often many people will tell me that they have zero time for the Word of God, for engaging God in the Scriptures. It's just too busy. And yet I hear often of their favorite TV shows and their favorite movies, and that Netflix is one of, you know, they've got time for Netflix. Am I pressing too many buttons? The truth is it may be that our refuge is a couch, not Christ. I... I let me, let me not just point the finger. Let me raise the hand in, in, in confession and say, oftentimes, when given the choice over entertainment and time in Scripture and the living God, that I will say and make excuses in my mind and then follow through on those excuses and find myself under a blanket with a remote relaxing. Have you ever been there? You say, well, surely Mike valued that. In that moment, I don't value God more than anything else in the world. 
And our life is a collection of those. It's a collection of decisions and moments where we make choices based on our desires, our values, what's important to us. And oftentimes I find myself claiming that I'm so busy when all reality, it's by design. We're busy by design. And I wonder too, and I'm going to actually point, point a little bit and poke a little bit at, at some of our biggest struggles. I wonder too if one of the reasons we're so busy by design is because we're avoiding the larger questions in life. We're so busy with the urgent as, was it, who, was, who did the tyranny of the urgent? You know, right? Was it Drucker? One of those really smart business guys said, the tyranny of the urgent versus the important. See, we do that. We're avoiders. We don't, we don't want to go to God and have his holiness confront our sin. We'd rather be comforted on a couch while we watch our favorite show. But if we value God, we say, listen, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Fix my eyes on your way. May your holiness confront my sin so, it, so it's removed. The uncomfortable mo moments that we often avoid, we run to because we know what is the true comfort eternally is removal of sin and relationship with God. So we fix our eyes on him. See, we need to turn our attention away from things that we think are actually feeding the soul when in all reality we need the holiness and the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Even if it's 11.58 at night and we don't have anything left in the tank, it's time to meet with Jesus because we value God. And you can say, well, I'm just saying, if you're not attentive in those ways, reading it, meditating upon it, Right? He says it, I will meditate on your precepts. If you're not doing that, your life is not actively valuing God. It's just a statement that you're making. Let us not allow blindness. Let us not allow boredom. Let us not allow busyness. Let us not allow Satan to consume our schedules with activity so we miss out on the most life-giving moment, time with God. And I'm preaching in a mirror, friends. This is the struggle of every human heart, prone to wander. Even if you've been a, you're not a Christian today, you don't really know about this God thing, or you've been a Christian for decades, you still find yourself on your knees before the Spirit of God saying, open my eyes that I may see. Because sin and the flesh and the world, they fog my vision. Open my eyes that I may see. Turn my eyes away from worthless things, this ongoing battle with the flesh. And what? Fix my eyes. Don't let my head turn. From your ways. That's the practice of the one who values God. Do you value God? Do you love the word? Does your love for the word turn your attention to it? Not just read it. Let me ask you the question. Do you think of the scriptures when you're not at church and when you're not at missional community? Is the Bible even a figment of your imagination? It's an important question. It prods at the true state of our heart before God. 
But maybe some of you ask, when I ask the question, do, do, is your attention toward it? You still say, yes, but there's still a struggle going on inside. There's still a, a recognition that something's not right. And it may just be simply that you need help, right? Like, look at I, I want this. I love the Bible. What I understand, I, I chew on, and I, and I love, and I, just, and I reject the ways of this world. But, you know, my interaction with Scripture, I just need help. I need help. Where do I read? How do I interpret the Bible? Guys, our heart as leadership in this church, and if we're not committed to this, you know, we define success in so many ways. How many people are sitting here this morning? How much money was put in the bucket? Forget that. How, what percentage of our people are engaging the word of God on a daily basis and are being captivated by the truth? That's a question that this leadership needs to be asking not how many people showed up. What percentage of the people are actively engaging God in his word every single day? That's our job here. And if you need help, if you need resources, we'll give them to you. If you need to walk through learning how to observe, interpret, and apply as you engage scripture, which, by the way, is, is a method we've kind of adopted in our missional communities and also in our private reading that we've encouraged people. It, it comes from knowableword.com. It was a book written by Peter Kroll called The Knowable Word. It's just very simple. Observation, interpretation, application. We can help you with that. Friends, that's what our missional communities are doing. If you need help, Maybe the best thing you can do is get involved in a missional community because for the last couple of months, we've walked through Philippians, the whole book of Philippians, just simply doing this, observing together, interpreting together, and applying together in that order. We ask the same questions in missional community every single week because we intentionally want people, what, to learn how to read the Bible when they're not with us. So when you go home and you open up Revelation chapter 1, you say, I'm going to first observe, I'm going to second interpret, and then I'm going to apply. And learning to ask the right questions along, along the way. And this takes time. This is why we're here. And if you need to know, where do I read? Grab the words to live by thing. Um, resource that we have at the back. It's a daily schedule of reading. And it does not ignore the boring, unwanted texts like we like. You know, you've been Ephesians for 12 years, man. Like, maybe it's time to move on. Like, it allows you to see the, uh, the whole counsel of God. So if maybe you're, you're here today and you're saying, yeah, I, I, I love God. There's no doubt about it. I'm captivated by his love for me. Man, every time I, 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 I get scripture, it just, it, it just wows me. And I love it. And I'm in. And I, I want to obey it. But I don't really know. I don't really understand. Every, often when I read it, it's, it's like, it's just not hitting. And I'm frustrated and confused. If that's you, please see myself, Tim, or Jeremy, or anyone else in leadership here. We are here to help you. And if we're not, go find another church. Because we're not serving you well. That's why we're here. Because that's what... The church is built on. That's what it's sustained by. That what, that's what it exists for. For the, for the integration, the proclamation, the, the representation of the word of God in the world. That's what it's all about. 
And any time our attention as leadership turns away from the word of God, someone stand up and call us out. That's what it's all about. God's word nurtured in the midst of God's people as we carry out God's mission. Amen? That's why we're here. But I want you to understand this. As you read the Bible, as you memorize the Bible, as you meditate on the Bible, as your attention is fixed upon the Bible, and this is my last thing I'm going to talk about this morning, this will lead you to a crossroads in life. Every time that you say, I value God and I love the Bible, and because I love the Bible, I'm going to turn my attention to the Bible in reading, memorizing, and meditating upon it. Every time that happens, all of a sudden you find yourselves at a dilemma, a problem, a spiritual crossroads, where another voice begins to enter into your existence and your mind, and it's the voice of the flesh. Every time the word of God goes in, there's another voice that says, that's really what happens. Not interested, that's a lie. You shall not surely die. There's a competing word that comes from Satan, that comes from the enemy. There's a competing word that rises up out of the depths of our fallen soul that does not trust the word and will not obey the word. It's one thing to know about God. And here's my point. It's another thing to know God. And when you know God, you obey him. So if you love the Lord, if you value God, you, you love the word, you turn your attention to the word, and that is not the end of the road. Turning your attention to the word leads you to faithful obedience. That's what it's all about. And so I'm asking that question. Is there an area of your life where you're just simply refusing to obey? You're willing to talk about it. You're willing to theologize about it. You may even blog and put on Facebook this, that, and the other thing about it. But when push comes to shove, you refuse to bend your will and be governed by the Word of God. Donald Whitney, in his book, Ten Questions to Diagnose Spiritual Health, the second one is this. Are you increasingly governed by God's word. Write that down. Are you increasingly governed by God's word? The point is this. Are you obeying? Do you find yourself obeying? Like joyfully. It's never easy, but it's joyful. And I love, that's really what we see taking place in this text. In the opening verses. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I'm going to seek you. People say, oh, I'm seeking the Lord today. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Let me not wander from your commandments. To seek the Lord is to obey him. That's how poetry works. Right? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. To seek the Lord is to not wander from his commandments. It's to live in obedience. Verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart. I've memorized it. I've meditated upon it. I wrote it on my door. I put it in my bathroom on a three-by-five card. And, and, and it's my ringtone. And I got Chris Tomlin on my ringtone. It is everywhere. Wherever I can put it, the word, I'm putting it so that it's inside my heart so that I don't sin against you. See, that's what's at stake. 
It's back to our relationship with God. And it's dealing with the very thing that severs us from relationship with God. Our sin. You can't defeat sin without the scriptures. As you await the final defeat of sin. Where Jesus, by the word of his mouth, says, be gone to Satan and sin. As we wait for that day, it is the word of God each and every day. Our attention upon it, our storing it up in our heart, right? Our our guarding our heart with it that helps us win the battle victoriously over the enemy that remains, sin. And every time you read the scriptures, the word of God, the truth of God, it confronts your sin with grace and the inspiration of the Spirit to defeat it. But understand this, and beware, it's a warning. When you read the Bible, it will mess with your life. You mean I got to move out? Wait, that's not practical. We share the bills. Like that would, we go bankrupt. Flee sexual immorality. See, it's going to mess with our lives, the scriptures. It's going to lead to action and obedience. And we can't really say we value God if it does not change our lives. And we can't really say that the word is powerful and effective, that it's breathed out by God, useful for teaching and training and correcting and righteousness, if it doesn't change us. The truth is, as we interact with it, man, does it ever change our lives. If we value God, we live his word. We don't just read about it, we live it. What aspect of your life needs correction today? What impurity needs transformed by the life-giving power of God's word. That's what the scriptures do. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And there may be some of you today that feel the power of the flesh with great intensity. There may be some of you today that you're sitting there living in a sense of defeat. I'm not obeying, and the truth is I don't want to obey. But oh, my soul and my mind knows the value of God, and I know that I need help, and I know that, uh, that, that the word of God is the place, but I'm just struggling. I'm struggling to get there. I'm struggling to be there. Understand two things. Number one. Verse, 19, uh, verse 32. I love this verse. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Our heart size is not, in our fallen state anyway, is not ready for obedience. Our heart needs to be bigger for the holiness of God. And I wonder if for you today, there's a simple aspect of your life where this just needs to be your prayer. Listen, I'll obey you when you make my heart prepared to do so. Enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart, God. Make it what it needs to be to walk in your ways. And understand this, too. That while we're calling you 
to a love for the Word of God, while we're calling you to an attention upon the Word of God, while we're calling you to obedience, understand this, that at the end of the day, we cannot forget the very one who has done it all in our place. We cannot forget that Jesus' obedience, his love for the word of his Father, was sufficient to deal with all of our unwillingness to obey, all of our lack of affection for him. That Christ was enough. That when, we're, when we lay in bed, and I, I'll never forget this conversation, as I was talking to my wife a few months back, laying in bed saying, I feel this in my heart where I want to obey and I feel like I don't want to obey. And then I feel like, you know, when I'm obeying the Lord, when I'm, when I'm living with self-control or this and that with this area, I find that no matter how good I think I'm doing, there's still so much imperfection in my obedience. Any of you ever feel that? I did the right thing, but I kind of was mad about it and prideful about it, right? You know what I'm talking about? There was still something wrong. And it's in that moment where I realize that it is Christ's obedience, Christ's faithfulness, the Word made flesh, live the Word perfectly on my behalf, and that all of my obedience, all of my affection, all of my attention is still needing of Him. And that it's His obedience that is sufficient to cover all my impure, half-hearted obedience. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Really, that's what made us Christian. And we know that from the scriptures. Yeah. Asking the question again. If we value God, what do we do? We love the Bible. We turn our attention to the Bible. And we live the Bible. Let's commit to that together. Let's pray. Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would open our eyes that we might see wondrous things in your law. That the Spirit of God would turn our eyes from looking at worthless things. And that the Spirit of God would fix our eyes on your revealed will. And may our heart and our joy and our delight be found in Christ. He is the Word made flesh. He is the one who obeyed and pursued and loved and valued perfectly. And He is enough for us. It's Him we celebrate together. All God's people said, Amen.